Okay, we're on. Um, and so Jeannie sent me a long email this morning. <laughs> said, I know this is last minute. I have some thoughts for you. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Um, and they were really good thoughts. So I wanted to... Um, we're, we're talking this morning. It's like, it's like we kind of review nearly every week. And I think that that's a good thing in a lot of ways. Is this anyone's first? I know it's your first time. Is this anyone else's first time in the class this morning? I know. Okay, good. We're going to go back to week one. No, we're not. Um, I know Enneagram class. Uh, honey, is this your first time in the class this morning? Thank you. You need, come on, get with I have to really be careful in my stories now because my wife is in the room. It's like I have to tell it exactly how it happened. So, um, so we're going to um, do some right-sizing of it in some ways, I think, this morning. Um, a verse, we, we also talked about different verses about the Holy Spirit and about when and why and under what circumstances the Holy Spirit came to the earth. And I, I never gave you this one because I wanted to save it for later. But Jesus says, look, the works that I do, so you think about, okay, Jesus, Son of God, you will do also, and greater works than these will he do, the one who believes in me. So that would be everybody in this room if you believe in Jesus, right? The one, so he doesn't even say you like to the apostles because sometimes scholars use that as an excuse to mean it doesn't mean me, it, it was just them. But this is, look, the one who believes in me, that's us, will do the works that I do and greater works than these because I go to the Father. Now, if you've been in this class, you know what he's referring to is, and, and actually Josh was a straight man this morning, quoted that scripture, it's better that I go to the Father because if I didn't go, the Holy Spirit wouldn't come. And so Jesus is saying, look, because I go to the Father and the Holy Spirit comes, there is within you now the innate ability to do works and greater works than I do. And you go, okay. You know, there's that sort of, that, that thing in us. And we're going to talk some more about that. Um, last week or the week before, Jeannie uh, talked about this. A man with experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. And... Um, that is really true in a lot of ways, as long as your experience is interpreted in light of reality, right? Because some people will say, well, this happened and that means this, rather than this happened and that means this to me. And so it's good. Remember Josh's uh, survey, 43% of the people in Otter Creek said they have witnessed or have, have an experience of a miracle in their life or the life of a friend that they know, not just heard on YouTube. Um, so I'm going to uh, show us one example this morning that I thought was uh, because you were talking about raising from the dead. This is a cardiologist. It was the morning of September 20th, 2006. Jeff Morgan recalls heading for work as usual. What he doesn't remember is driving himself to the hospital. He had called his boss and told him he didn't feel well. His boss was concerned and convinced Jeff to go to the emergency room. Somehow Jeff made it. As he got there, he collapsed. Dr. Chauncey Crandall was doing rounds in the intensive care unit that morning. An alert call came over the PA system uh, that someone had arrived at the hospital with a massive, deadly heart attack. And then a second call 
uh, went after the PA system and specifically asked for me because I was the cardiologist on that day. When I arrived there, there was like a war of something. It was like being in battle. It was chaos. Everyone there fighting to keep this man alive. The ER staff worked on Jeff for 40 minutes. They shot him a dozen times. Despite their efforts, there was no response. Once Dr. Crandall decided the team had done everything possible, he called the time of death. While a nurse prepared Jeff's body for the morgue, Dr. Crandall updated the charts. Well, as soon as my note was completed, I walked out through the door to this emergency room. I heard this voice say, turn around and pray for that man. And I wanted to ignore that voice because I said to myself, how can I pray for that man? He's dead. He's gone. There's no life in him. So I kept walking. And the voice came back again. And the voice said, turn around and pray for that man. And I stopped and I thought to myself, I need to honor the Lord. So I turned around at the doorway and I walked to the side of the body and the nurse was on the other side of the body and she's looking at me like what are you doing why are you here and i stood there next to that corpse and i opened my mouth and these words came out father god i cry out for this man's soul if he does not know you as his lord and savior father raise him from the dead now in Jesus' name. I remember staring at bright lights and they were swirling around. Out of those uh, bright lights uh, came an image. And he told me that he was there to look over me and make sure that everything was going to be fine. And the other doctor walked in the room and I pointed to him. I said, shock this man one more time. And he looked at me and said, Dr. Crandall, we can't shock him. He's dead. There's no life in him. He's gone. And I said, for me, shock him one more time. And that doctor, out of respect and honor for me, went over to that body with those defibrillator paddles and put his paddles on that patient and shocked him. Shocked Jeff. And immediately an instant heartbeat came back. Instant, perfect, regular, which we'd never seen before. And the nurse screamed, what have you done? And this perfect heartbeat came back. And then suddenly, this abdomen started moving and started breathing. And then a couple moments later, the fingers started twitching. They immediately moved Jeff to the intensive care unit. Three days later, Jeff woke up with no evidence of brain or organ damage. Once I, I woke up, my daughter Jillian was there, and that's when she told me what had happened. When I came in Monday morning, Jeff was sitting up in bed, and I said, where, where were you that day that I prayed for you in the emergency room? And he said, Dr. Crandall, I was in total darkness. And I was so disappointed. And I said, Jeff, what were you disappointed about? He said, I was alone for eternity. He asked me at that time if I was willing to accept God in my life and into my heart. I just, I 
open my arms and accepting God. Uh, it was just a very emotional time. And you know, I remember, you know, crying in his arms. Today, Jeff is back at work and gets regular checkups with Dr. Crandall. He still has no heart problems or residual complications from his brush with death. You know what I had gone through to be so fortunate uh, that's been part of, I guess, my daily battle is why me? Why have I been so fortunate uh, to have God shine on me? Uh, I guess a second time. This day that I prayed for Jeff was a day of very little faith. It wasn't one of my big God days. And when I walked into that emergency room, to tell you the truth, I didn't want to stay and pray because I was so much in a rush with my work. But I prayed, and I didn't have a lot of faith backing that prayer up that day. But the Lord asked me to do it, so I honored the Lord and prayed. And that's all we need, just a spark of faith like that mustard seed. Miracles are real. And they're real today. <clears throat> okay, how do I get us? Okay, so what did you hear? What what different things jumped out at you about that? You didn't want to. Didn't want to. Yeah. But that didn't matter. Yeah. Nope. Yeah, just a prompting, right? No, no big Superman of faith, just prompting, okay. Right? Right. Um, he thought he was crazy. Yeah, he thought he was. Yeah, and he, he was willing to risk a little embarrassment even as a senior cardiologist in, in this hospital. You as a doctor would kind of know maybe how crazy that might be. Um, Yeah, did the one last thing. And so, yeah? I thought it was interesting that he said, if this man doesn't know me, yeah. you know. Yeah, he saved him for eternity, not just yeah. his life, it right? Was, it, he, I mean, it was like, if he, does, if he does know you, it's okay for you to go ahead and take him. Yeah. But if he doesn't, let's try to make that happen. So is this different than when you're at the grocery store and the person in front of you doesn't have enough money, and you go, hmm, Psh. right. It's, it's not any different, right? Mr. Atnip, were you about to comment on that? No. But, it, right, see, it's, it, it's, this is a big thing. This is like raising someone from the dead. But what about raising someone $20, you know, so that, what, see, they're, they're, so what this looks like is, is I'm, walking in my life, I'm doing something, and it's not an interruption. I have positioned my life to go, Lord, I want to hear your prompting. I am your workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that he's prepared beforehand that I should walk in, Ephesians 2.10. And so this was a good work that he was to walk in. This ended up feeling spectacular but it was really supernatural, just like the store clerk would be supernatural. In other words, sometimes we mistake 
this, well, I don't think I'm ever going to raise somebody from the dead or do all these crazy wild things, but what about just these little things like, I feel like I'm supposed to call a friend and give him a word of encouragement. I'm going to say yes to that. And so what I want us to do um, is to really right-size this sort of, uh, um, over there it's, Jeannie said she took a survey, I listened um, to what she did, and it's like, the Holy Spirit, you know, on one side, the Holy Spirit really isn't working. In area two, it's like the Holy Spirit is working, but mostly just within me to kind of help me to know God better and grow. And then number three is, number two is true, but also the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is working through me to the outside world, right? And so I think all of us would, would say, Probably yes. A lot of us would say yes to number two. Some, some are some because of our culture are still are going over here, going oh, Father, Son, and who is that? Right, that that one. Some of us would go. I kind of believe the Holy Spirit works very subtly uh, on the inside through inspiration and through through the Word primarily, and and then. I think what, what this class is trying to provoke us all to do is to say, what would it look like if the Holy Spirit were alive, living, and active in my life, and I am his workmanship created for good works, little things and big things, and life is more like an Easter egg hunt with the eggs hidden for me, not from me. In other words, I get up today and I say, Holy Spirit, um, there's a book called Good Morning Holy Spirit, which is, which is the guy saying every morning he gets up and says, what are we going to do today? And he goes about his life, and almost invariably, something happens that feels like a crazy coincidence, but you know it's not. You know that before the foundation of the world, God knew this was going to happen, knew you'd be ready, and just wants you to take a little bit of a risk. That's what this outpouring of the Holy Spirit looks like at its most basic form. So that risk could be Jesus raising Peter's mother from the dead, which is just the same as this guy raising that guy from the dead. That risk could be giving up your seat on a train. That risk could be calling a friend. That risk could be inviting a guy from work for lunch. The only difference is that it's not you just having a good idea. It's you feeling the sense of connectedness with God and the sense of God might be asking me to do this. So next week, the Broadways are going to lead a team to talk a lot more about that. Um, but. But I want to kind of ask this question. Concerning the outpouring part of the Holy Spirit, let's ask, who am I when it comes to my doctrine and my experience in this? So go back and visit what Jeannie said, and then ask myself, why am I that way? So I'm geeky, so we're going to do a two-by-two two matrix. You ready? I know <laughs> math, math haters are going, ah, get me out of here. Help, Holy Spirit. Um, so let's say the top left side is, I have almost no experience in this, and I go along a continuum, and on the right side, I have a good bit of experience with this. And let's say on this side, it is objectively true. It, whatever it is, and we'll talk more about that, but, but this outpouring of the Holy Spirit is true. It's God has set it up. It's true in the world. Whether I believe it or not, objectively, God has made a decision to pour the Holy Spirit out. It's true, or it's not true. God, you know, the, this whole other experience, that is not God's plan. God, the Holy Spirit is kind of sent within us, but we have the word now. Cessationism is right. 
And, and really the Holy Spirit's kind of back up in heaven, more or less, with, with God, okay? And so you ask yourself that, that thing, and if you have experience and it's true, then what happens in you is, is you want more, and you say, I want to grow with respect to grace. I want to grow in this experience. And so, so I, I would say I'm in that box, and I would say back in 1980-something, I had a, some remarkable experiences with the Lord. And to this day, I pray every day, more Lord. Right? It's not like, well, I got it now. It's like, no, more Lord. Lord I want to raise somebody from the dead. You know, it's not really. But, well, I would if I were in that situation. It's like, Lord, I, I don't care if it's a big thing or a little thing. I want to obey you. I want to partner with you. That's what I'm after. Just like Jesus said, look, I don't do anything that I don't see the Father doing, and I don't say anything that I don't hear the Father saying. Jesus wasn't about bigger little things. There's two right on the front row spit zone here if you want to come on down. And we got a balcony. We got a balcony over here too if you want to sit in the balcony. Okay. Yeah, that's <coughs> or the amen corners. Um, and so I, I continue to grow. Now, if, if I have no experience of this, but it's not true, then of course I wouldn't have any experience of it. So if this box is true, then, then the outpoured Holy Spirit was for the first century or so, and the gifts and some of the New Testament doesn't, you know, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 go away because those things don't apply anymore, and, and, I, I, and I need to cut out little pieces of other parts of the Bible because... Prophecy is not for today. You know, none of these things are for today. And so I live in this place. It's not true, so of course there's no experience of it, right? So, so I sit in that box, and that would be maybe number one over there. That, that's where I live. This is, this, and I have the Word, and, there's great, and you know, I love God. And it's, there, it has nothing to do with that. It just has to do with this idea of, is there a living daily experience with God? Is Romans 8, where it says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Is that true or not? Or, or do I take that scripture out too and throw that away? Because how can you be? Because the Holy Spirit isn't here. We have the word now. <clears throat> if uh, I say I have an experience of it, but it's not true, then millions upon millions, hundreds of millions of people are deceived. I mean, we, we come to the conclusion that all Pentecostals are deceived. All Charismatics are deceived. Half the churches in Nashville are deceived. You kind of go, oh, I, I kind of didn't think that's what I was saying. But the reality is that is what I'm saying. Okay, and, and I'm, I'm not being judgmental, so I, I don't want to say that about them. But in my heart of hearts, I go, that's kind of the logical conclusion I have to come to. If I'm a cessationist and all these people are claiming an experience, they're wrong. You know, and it's... Wow, that's, you know, that's like an uncomfortable, <laughs> it's, an un it's better not to think about it than to think that, you know, in some ways, right? It just, it, it feels like a very hard conclusion. And then we've got this box, um, which is, I, I have little or no experience of this. I haven't really been taught about it. Um, but I, I know there's something there. I know there's more there than what I've experienced. I don't know what it is, and I kind of hope it's not being Pentecostal. You know, it's, it's, that just that feels, feels like a bridge too far for me. But there's something here, and hmm. 
Now I would say that even if, I, even if I'm kind of in this box, I, I still look into this box and go, well maybe I should have a picnic up here in this box and just kind of see what's going on. I know some of us in this room are thinking, okay, I came here because I just want to hear more about this, okay? And so we're going to talk about this box right here, the hmm box. And so, <coughs> um, and so I have three suggestions and I invite discussion. So um, I've probably spent 40 years talking to people about that box. Because early on, for some reason, I just got I was saved kind of in the, in, in the beginning of what was called the charismatic movement back then in the 70s. Got saved at a Billy Graham crusade. And, uh, <clears throat> and then had this experience with the Holy Spirit with a couple of guys who came out of the woods, laid hands on me, prayed for me, and laughed. <laughs> it's like, I know they weren't angels. I just didn't feel like angels, you know. But, and and so, so I would call myself a charismatic. And, and some of the things that implies but I would call myself a conservative, Bible-believing, charismatic. Okay, so I, I would, so I'm, I'm, Josh, the first, so we came to Otter Creek um, mostly to, I, I came mostly to help comfort Marge Keaty. I'm Marge Keaty's son-in-law. That's my, like my claim to fame at Otter Creek. And, and Hugh passed away. And so I said, well, let's, let's come and just sit in the back. And so I'm sitting in the back thinking, oh, Church of Christ. And that was so arrogant. I just, I like repented a million times for having even the stray thought like that <laughs> because this church is phenomenal. Um, and the first sermon that Josh preached, I'm sitting in there in the back, was how to be a responsible charismatic. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> is, is, is this a joke? Is this like a setup? The second week I'm there, Mike Runsey grabs me and introduces me to that one. <laughs> Right there, who 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 hugs me and cries? We're both criers, right? Hugs me and cries, and she says, "I told Mike Runcie, I gave him your book, and said, I don't know who this guy is, but we need this in my church." And Mike said, "Oh, he's at Otter Creek now." So it's like, okay, you know. So Holy Spirit has to take a two by four to my head most of the time to get me to understand that that he is always out in front, making the things right for us. And at some point, you go oh, I think this might be God, right? And so that's how I spend most of my life. So I want to, um, so, so the first of my three suggestions is to ask yourself two questions. This is the first question. Do I, do I feel like I understand what it is, okay? Now there's this weird verse where Paul, he's talking about tongues, but, but he does this weird thing. He says, look, if you assemble and everybody's speaking tongues, and an uninstructed man enters, or unbelievers, they'll look at it the same way. Okay? And the word here is, is sad in the Greek. It means it's idiotos, okay? But that's not what someone is who, who is, is in that place of looking, of going, hmm. And then he says, look, um, but if you prophesy, they'll be convicted. So tongues will seem like crazy foolishness. The prophetic word, and we're going to talk about that some weeks from now, they'll go home. Wow, how did you know? Or, God, oh, that's me. Or, and, and so it will just go zip straight to the heart. The point I want to make is that, is that even in the Corinthian church, there are Christians who go, what is this? What is this stuff that's going? What is it? What is it that's going on? Okay? 
So the first thing I want to say is that, and we covered this some weeks ago, but some of you are here for the first time. I have forgiveness of sins because Jesus died. Not all I do is accept it by faith. My sins weren't forgiven because I paid some penalty, did penance, fasted. They were forgiven because I accept by faith what Christ did. It might be that you did that when you were 10, and when you're 16, you go, whoa, that's part of it too? And when you're 24 and dealing with a habitual sin, and you realize that forgiveness isn't conditional on how many times you sin, seven times, 70, you go, oh man. And so, so you go, I don't think I ever understood forgiveness until today. Well, what happens is that, is that there's an unfolding revelation of the fullness of what Christ accomplished concerning forgiveness. And so it might be, or for this one, I have a new life because Christ was given a new life. Romans uh, 6, I was buried with him, I was resurrected. Paul says, don't you know, don't you, do you not know that if you're buried with him, you're, you have a new life. You are not a sinner saved by grace. People who do those prayers in church, oh Lord, I'm just a sinner. I just want to go, you know, wake up. No, you're not. You're not. You're a son of God. He has committed eternity to you. See, think of Luther running naked through the streets when he got that revelation. So he was laboring under this thing of sin, sin, I'm just a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'll never not be a sinner, I'm a sinner, sinner. And he reads Romans 6, and in a flash, the revelation hits him. And he's, he's, he's running through the streets yelling, I'm a new creation. Okay, they say naked, maybe it was naked. Lutherans go, no, I'm sure he had a rope, you know, but in any case, why? Because it's not that Romans 6 wasn't there when he was first saved, wasn't there for already a thousand years. It was because there was a new revelation by the Holy Spirit inside of him that just exploded in his consciousness. And he was like, wow, okay. And so, and so we may have that revelation too, where we go, you know what? I'm, a, I'm no longer a slave of fear. I am a child of God. Right? You just go, wow. And so, so as we grow, revelation upon revelation, we grow with respect to faith. We, we, we gain this elevation in the Lord. So why would the, the thing about the Holy Spirit be any different? Right? So the Holy Spirit came because Jesus went to the Father. Not because someone laid hands on me. Not because... The Holy, and so John, so Peter says in, in Acts 2.38, he says, look, this gift is for you, for your children, despite what, what Jeannie read, that, that for your children, for all who are far away, everyone who he calls to himself. The scripture at the beginning of today said the same thing. And so this, this and, and what Peter's referring to is Pentecost. Right? He's saying that the Pentecostal experience of the Holy Spirit is for you. And on the same basis as this, this, this is all yours. So, so it's not something that you need to change churches. You need to go to a Benny Hen conference. It, it, there, none of that has to happen. In the same way that I come into 
a initial revelation and continuing revelations about these two things in that ex exact same way I come into growing revelation about the inness and the onness of the Holy Spirit okay and so you might say well that hadn't been my experience but we should be very careful not to define truth by our experience we should define truth by truth and so um, the other thing I wanted to say about this, this experience of the Holy Spirit is this. Paul says to Timothy, he says, look, stir up the gift that is in you. And that, that gift is either the gift of the Holy Spirit or, or it's a gifting from the Holy Spirit to him, something in his life that's a gift. Paul says, look, I laid my hands on you and this thing came upon you. This got stirred up in you. Whatever happened this started up in you and he says look Timothy God's not given us a spirit of fear now look at the look at the qualities of the Holy Spirit but of power love and a sound mind each one of us looks at our Christian world our belief system on a tripod through a camera that's standing on three legs and so if you're if, if you have a really long sound mind leg that is I'm a good exegeter of scripture my church has got great professors in it and we 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 know we speak where the Bible speaks and we're silent where the Bible's silent and you know we we just we got a great sound mind leg so that leg on the tripod is really long and you say yeah and the love leg on the tripod you know we we lay our lives down for people we give a lot of our budget away I personally do that we're involved in in this ministry in this ministry in this ministry in this ministry and 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 we bring hot dishes to people you know we we we're great lovers and then you go and then the power part of the Holy Spirit huh right we're hmm right and so if I am perched on a tripod that has a shorter power leg then I look at the world like this, okay? And so I walk around and this is how I see the world because this is all I know. And someone who, whose tripod might even be square or might be tilted and they have a really long power leg but scripture's not all that important to them, it's all about experience, then, then they walk around looking this way. So if you're looking this way and they're looking this way, you think you have totally different faiths. And the reality is that the three aspects of the Holy Spirit, power, love, and a sound mind, one of those is undeveloped, or two of those are undeveloped in my life. I haven't come into that understanding of the Holy Spirit. So in, in, in my Pentecostal experience, um, lots of love, lots of power, but this sort of, this, the, the sound mindness of Scripture, the self-controlness, the the, the understanding, the, the setting my life into paths of discipline, the, the growing with respect to the Word of God, that, that's kind of not a, a, as great of a value, right? Because the experience is such great value. Now, I don't mean to just blanket everybody, but, but that would tend to be a characteristic. Churches of Christ would tend to have a characteristic where, where this power aspect of the Holy Spirit tends to be relegated to sort of an internal helping me grow and, and, and be better and, and hopefully um, inspiring pre good preaching and, and, and whatever. But, but to think about laying hands, see, see okay, I'm going to really rock a boat now. 
God doesn't say pray for the sick. He says heal the sick. You go, whoa, wait. Whoa, okay, whoa. What does that mean? You see, and you go, okay, so what, how would that look different? Um, okay, so just set that aside for now. I just wanted to spark you up. Okay, and so we ask yourself, well, what does, what does it mean to do this in the power of the Spirit? Jesus, 30, 30, 28, depending on your theology, comes back out of the desert having been baptized in the Spirit, and then news about him spreads. Remember, Mike read about, maybe it was Moody or Finney or Hudson Taylor, maybe it was Finney who said, my, I had an experience with God, with the Holy Spirit. My preaching didn't change, but from that day on, everything was different. Everything was different. Why? He had encountered the power side of the Holy Spirit, and he, he realized, I do not have to depend on my brain, on my soul, for my success and to win souls. I depend on the power of God. That's a fairly radical alteration, okay? And so for us, when we talk about kind of the Holy Spirit as this class is talking about it, I don't want to discount the love and the sound mind part, but I also want us to focus here and understand what that means, okay? If you think about 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, 12 is power, 13 is love, 14 is how do you do all this with a sound mind. Okay, so you could read those three and say, okay, 12 is all about the power, the gifts of God, the manifestations. 13 is, yeah, yeah, those are great, but if I have not love, then these things are worthless. But 14 starts out with this amazing verse. It says, be, um, oh, what's the word? Help me. You and I are talking, Susan, you and I are talking about yesterday. Um, what's that? No, no, be uh, for spiritual gifts. Be, pursue spirit, be, be zealous. Oh, there, that is. Be zealous for the manifestations of the spirit. He says, pursue love, but be zealous for the manifestation of the spirit. That is, want them. Want them in your life. That is a command for us to obey. Be hot after the Holy Spirit moving through you. Be hot after that. Now, that guy who... who prayed for the sick guy, would you say he has a gift of healing? A healing ministry? No. What did he have? He had a prompting of the Holy Spirit to lay hands on someone and heal them, raise them from the dead. So if you look at those manifestations of the Spirit, he had a word of knowledge and a gift of healing. But really, all he had was hearing the Holy Spirit and obeying. And we give it, we give it different names, right? Well, I saw this person, I had the sense that, that I needed to speak encouragement to them. As I began to speak, some ideas came, I spoke those, they cried, we prayed, it was wonderful. And you go, what was that? Well, the New Testament would call that prophecy, New Testament prophecy. We would call it, well, I just felt like the Holy Spirit wanted me to say that. Okay? So I don't ever, ever, ever want us to make it more complicated than that. When it works itself out, we can give it names. Oh, that was tongues, that was interpretation, that was this, that was that, that. But none of that matters. It's as simple as saying yes to the Holy Spirit and taking a risk. Okay? It doesn't get more complicated than that. 
And if we try to make it more complicated, we get off into sort of an artificiality that starts to look like a caricature of God. The Holy Spirit is very gentle, doesn't call attention to himself, likes to work behind the scenes. And if you see something that isn't gentle, does call attention, and likes to be up front, you got to ask yourself what's going on, right? Does that make sense? Any questions about that? Yeah. Second Timothy. Oh, sorry. Yep. Thank you. Sound mind. I like that. <laughs> you know, I looked it up too, and I looked it up in First Timothy. Went like you were sitting in the room. Went to Second. So Second Timothy, and I typed First Timothy. So. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so the second question to ask then is, is we are all products of our culture. So how does my culture? How does my time look? Ooh. How does my culture influence this? How does my upbringing influence this? I don't want to blame my culture, but I want to understand my culture. And yeah, yes, thank you. I, I, knew, I knew we were getting close. Five minutes. So how does my culture impact this? I want to give us one verse because uh, maybe a couple of verses, but this one for sure. So this is Jesus and just read it while I'm talking. So this is Jesus and he goes to his hometown He's teaching in the temple. They go, we heard stories about the miracles. His teaching is amazing. And then they go, wait. This is Jesus' boy. This is the carpenter's son. We know his family. He's no better than us. Who does he think he is? Right? You see that. They took offense at him. Jesus goes, great. Now look at this. He could do no miracle there except laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. I would settle for that, uh, you know, on any day. And, and he marveled, he wondered. Jesus himself is wanting to do the miracles as led by the Holy Spirit, and he cannot because of the culture and atmosphere of unbelief. Whee! Okay, so, so when we say, why aren't there miracles? We have to ask ourselves, do we perpetrate a culture that says these things don't happen? Individually and culturally. Jesus himself is not the issue. The Holy Spirit working miracles isn't the problem. And when I say cessation rather than culture, I got to ask myself why I say that. That's just my opinion. It's like, you know, you look around the rest of the world and it's, it's not not happening. So maybe it's culture. You know, the churches of Christ were born in a charismatic revival. And at some point, a decision was made that that charismatic expression was, not, was non-essential to the church. Maybe that was a bad decision. Maybe just the wildness of it was non-essential. But we threw the spirit out with the holy water. You know, maybe, maybe we need to revisit that decision a little bit. Um, uh, here's, here's Paul, and he says, look, so the, the, the Galatians are stumbling into the same problem. He says, look, did you receive the Holy Spirit by what? Hearing with faith, but now are you, are you, are you trying to walk it out in your own strength, in the flesh? Look, the Holy Spirit works miracles among you. Does he do it by the law or by hearing with faith? In other words, so I have to ask myself, where is the place of my own faith in this? Where is the place where I say, God, I believe, help my unbelief. 
Lord, show me. Lord, help me. Uh, and then this is um, about prophecy. And, and the, the Thessalonians were having a problem. People would speak a prophetic word and they'd go, right? Why? There was a disdain for it. Sometimes there's a lot to want to disdain. And he says, look, hold fast to that which is good. But don't quench the spirit. The spirit is easily quenched. So what do we have? A culture of unbelief comes by faith, but it's from faith from beginning to end. And the Holy Spirit is gentle, so don't quench the spirit. So I have to look at my own culture, my own understanding, and ask that. So this is my suggestion to you. Just get quiet before the Lord and just say, Jesus, is there anything you want to show me that hinders me? And maybe, Scott, this is something you can look at for next time as well. Is there anything that hinders me from coming into a greater experience of the Holy Spirit? I want to know because I want all you have for me. And I think if you ask him, you'll begin to understand what the implications are in your own life. Because if you were a parent like God is, wouldn't you just love to walk daily with your child and have him asking you questions and you telling him? Well, that's God. He, he, his greatest joy is to do things with us. But that means we need to live a life that goes, Holy Spirit, um, that woman, you know, I just I feel attracted to the lady at the checkout. Okay. And, and you just take a risk and you say, hey, how are you doing today? And you get, and then things kind of start. And you go, wow, that was amazing. I, has, I, don't ask, I don't tell stories on myself because I don't want to be your example. I want Holy Spirit to be your example. Maybe in a couple weeks I'll, I'll tell more stories, but there's just a, a life of this taking risk of saying, it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to me, just like they did in Acts 15. Okay, let's try that. Okay, the next second suggestion is ask and don't stop asking. That is, Press into the Lord. Just say, Lord, um, so how much more? How The much moreness of God. He, he definitely wants to give you the Holy Spirit. Keep on asking and you will receive. Keep on seeking. Keep, don't, don't lose heart because you say, well, I asked you and nothing happened. Okay? Sometimes it's in the asking and the pressing in that a transformation happens in me that makes it possible to be in me. There's sometimes there's that hometownness in me or that, that place of disdain or arrogance that the more I ask, the more God shows me, the more I give it away to him, the greater place is open and change happens. So, so don't give up. If you sense you want more fullness of spirit, then ask and keep. Don't stop for any reason. Just keep asking, okay? And then the last thing is uh, put yourself in harm's way. Put yourself in grace's way, Okay? Take some risk. So sometimes as my faith grows, an event or an encounter becomes a tipping point. So in my experience with lots and lots and lots of people in this, they're at a point where they're like, ah, 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 and, they, and so they say, will you pray for me? Now, the laying on of hands isn't necessary to receive the Holy Spirit, but sometimes it's just the tipping point where you say, okay, or, or you go to some crazy worship time that you know they're just after God and you go, I might be uncomfortable, but I'm going to go there and now this is a key. I'm going to raise my hands because we have a little switch right under here. Off, on, off, on. Okay, so, so 
I, I actually have a friend um, who I told him that. I said, I said, sometimes you have to do something physical to get yourself going. And he put his hands in his pocket and he raised his thumbs. Okay, that was it. He's in the back. Remember, he's in the back of Belmont Church years ago. He's got his thumbs raised. He goes, God, this is as far as I can go right now. Um, but that was good. So what would it look like if you just, on a Sunday morning sometime, you just go, I'm nervous. Everybody's looking at Just close your eyes and say, God, I, I'm just, I want you more than I want respectability. You know, I, I'm after you. Um, sometimes just a quiet time where you say, I'm just going to sing crazy songs without, I'm just going to make up songs and words. And if I feel like I should sing without words, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to make noise. I know m- so many people who birthed a manifestation of tongues that way. Um, we're going to get testimony maybe next week. <laughs> She's laughing. <coughs> so alone in worship on Sunday, out among people, say yes. Just, just take a risk. Put yourself in harm's way. Go to places where you think you can experience this. Ask someone to pray for you who you think can help you. I'll be glad to pray with any of you about this. And, and we're not going to like look for some crazy thing to happen. We're just going to say, let's go. Let's just say yes, okay? Because it's already yours. It, it's already been fully given to you. The fullness of the Spirit is, is all for you. All of these manifestations are really simply you just listening to the Holy Spirit and saying yes. And then a healing happens. Then this happens. Then that Then that And you go, wow, I'm like secret agent man. Okay? Any questions on that? I try to just... Just try to right-size it down to us because sometimes things get too stained glassy and then we can't relate to them. They get stylized. This is just life in its fullest expression, connecting with God. It's, it's, it's life with its fullest excitement. And there'll be hardship. This will be challenged. <clears throat> You're fairly dangerous to him <clears throat> without this. You're extraordinarily dangerous to the kingdom of darkness with this. Because all of a sudden, you, you might know what to say to that one person who is about to walk away from their family. And you encounter them at work, and you go, how you doing? Door opens. Grace of God flows. They pray. And you go back to lunch. Okay? That's us. We're, we're, we're those agents in the earth. We are his workmanship. You are perfectly created for good works and the good works are perfectly created. That is what, when we get to heaven, the only thing he's gonna ask us is, how many of these dregs did you find? I think that's it. Everything else is already settled. Lord, <clears throat> thank you. I ask that whatever you said this morning would just burn in people's hearts and that you, Holy Spirit, would begin to fan those flames and that you would instigate grace in lives, Lord. Amen. Yes, you can download Mike's lesson at Otter Creek. <clears throat> we also have a share, we have a Dropbox, a shared Dropbox. I have a piece of paper. If you stick your email on here, I will invite you to the Dropbox. So I'll just leave that up here as well. And all of the PowerPoints are on the Dropbox from the beginning of class ed. So you have audio and you have the PowerPoints. All of the, no, the audios aren't on the Dropbox, but they're at Otter Creek site, okay? Thank you.